Thanks for connecting with us on our podcast. We're so encouraged by all that God is doing through our ministry. If you would like more information about how to get connected or to financially partner with us, be sure to visit us on the web at citylightsac.org. Today's message is from our series, Life Adrift. It's so easy to go adrift with things that matter most in life. Family, relationships, finances, our spiritual journeys. In this series, we'll look at how to get back on course and stay focused on the right path ahead. Prepare your heart to hear from God. We hope you enjoy the message. You sound good this morning. You sound good this morning. I want you to remain standing as we continue in worship through the proclamation of God's Word. If you've enjoyed worship so far, can we celebrate that? This is Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. The psalmist said, I can never escape from your spirit. Anybody ever tried to just hide from God a little bit? I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. Now grasp this. If, if I go down to the grave, he's there too because either God is everywhere or he's not. Right? If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I've, just, I've got a message for somebody today who feels like you're taking the wrong path spiritually. Or maybe there's some decisions in your life and you're not really sure which way you're going. Or in fact, you think you've made the wrong decision. I just have one more question before I get fired up this morning. Is anybody ready to hear from the Lord today? You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, worship team. You sound good this morning. So, hey, we are in part two of a series called Life Adrift. And the whole idea behind this series is that we're going to get reconnected. We're going to get realigned. We're going to get refocused because it's so easy for us to go adrift uh, in life with what matters most. Am I talking to anybody? Anybody ever got, a, got off track a little bit? So that's the whole idea behind this series, and I want you to use that Psalm 139, 7-10 as the foundation for where we're going this morning, uh, That just that idea that I cannot escape God's presence or His Spirit. And I, I wanted to tell someone here today that maybe you feel like you're far from Him, maybe you feel like His Spirit is no longer there, you don't feel connected with Him anymore, and you may feel that way, but I wanted to remind you that God's Word says that He'll never leave you or forsake you. If there's someone here seeking him or you're watching online this morning, by the way, we've got an online host. We would love for you to chat with us. There's someone right now who will connect with you. I wanted to tell you all that if you're seeking or if you're exploring your options or trying to figure out who this Jesus is, he's willing to meet you where you are. In fact, the only prerequisite to being a cross follower is you've got to be a jacked up sinner. That's basically it. If you're a jacked up sinner, then you can meet Jesus this morning we're in part two called It's Not What You Think. It's Not What You Think. One last thing before we kind of dive in. If you are watching along, you're here this morning, you have the Bible app, the Uversion Bible app. If you log into that, you click more, the bottom right, then you click events. City Lights Church will pop up and every scripture that I'm reading this morning will be there for you to follow along with. There's a place for you to take special notes. It's a free app. We would love for you to connect with us that way. There's also important information that only you see if you log on to that. So there's so many ways to stay connected with us. Talking about this idea, it's not what you think. I want you to look at this first picture. Go ahead, the preacher's giving you permission. What does that look like? Looks like fun. <laughs> Looks like the boat's floating, right? 
Well, it's not what you think. The water's just extremely, extremely clear right there as it gets towards the bank, and it makes it look like it's floating in air. Check out this next picture. Which way is this bus going? Somebody said right. Looks like she's saying left. Some of you are like, I don't even like riding school buses, man, so I always hitched a ride in high school. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't tell you because I don't know the answer either. I just thought it was confusing. I wanted to show it to you. Check out this next picture. This picture is kind of creepy, but it's not what you think. She's obviously, you know, the little girl, she's got the mirror in front of her, and it looks like she's missing her body, but it's just reflecting the glass. See, a lot of times we see things, and they appear one way, but when we begin to look at it, it's not what we think. Check out this next picture. I'm going to ask you, is that a bird or is that a woman who's been painted? Preacher's jacking you up this morning, isn't he? You thought you should come get spiritually fed and you're leaving here confused. It is a woman who's painted up. It is a woman who's painted up. How many of you know sometimes you can see things one way, but when you see the truth through a new lens, it's not what you think? Anybody ever experienced that in Christ? Or maybe you made a judgment on someone that was a little bit wrong. It's not what you thought. Now, here's what I need you to do. Don't pull up the next one yet. I've got to set it up. If you don't do this right, it's not going to work, okay? This is not a trick. It is a trick, okay? I lied. Sorry, I lied. But there's a particular way you have to do this or this will not work. Not just yet. When we pull up this next picture, there's going to be two screens. And in the center, and it's going to tell you, and some of you may have seen this, there's a little cross, and you have to keep your eyes focused on the cross, okay? You have to keep your eyes focused on the cross. The images are going to be moving. Check this out. Keep your eyes on the cross. Is it working for anybody? It's going to do it again. Let it, let it go through and it'll stop and then it'll come back again. What happens when you look at the center of this cross is what happens to the images on the outside. They, well, they look distorted. They don't actually reverse. It's just your eyes. It's not what you think. It looks like it's playing a trick on you. Raise your hand if you could see that. Raise your hand if you feel like this is weird at church, man. Yeah, <laughs> two people back there. The whole idea behind this, you can turn it, that's weird. Go to the next slide. The whole idea behind all those pictures is sometimes we see things and it's not what we think. And I think there's a very relevant story in the Bible this morning that is true for that same meaning. In fact, as I was praying, we just started this series last week, Life Adrift. So if you miss it, you can check out our podcast. We're on iTunes. You can go to city.sac.org or we stream live on Facebook so you can go back and watch it. But I decided last week, and I even thought I had a good direction several weeks ago when I planned the series, but I really felt like the Lord spoke to me as I was in our office praying last week about which direction to go. And so what we're going to do is the, the next four weeks, that's how many weeks is left in the series, we're going to go through a chapter of Jonah every week. And I just felt like Jonah's life lined up so much with this idea of just going adrift and getting away from what matters most. And so this morning, we're going to dive into Jonah chapter one. Anybody ever heard of Jonah? Jonah's a book in the Old Testament. It's what you call a minor prophet. Uh, and minor prophets, there are minor prophets, there are major prophets. For example, major prophets would be someone like Jeremiah, Isaiah. And the reason they're called major is because the amount of content in their book. Jonah's a minor. I was telling our volunteers it doesn't mean because he was 17 years old. It's the length of the content in his book. All right, the other books like Malachi, those short books there towards the end. Those are your minor prophets, and you have major prophets. And I think that there's going to be some very relevant, applicable truth to 
Jonah's life in our own lives. And I wanted to just, let me get this clear this morning. No doubt watching online or here, there are people in all different walks of life. Some of you are more established. Some of you are just getting started. Some of you are getting restarted. Some of you are exploring your faith. Some of you have a foundation that's strong and many years underneath it. But I want us to remember that when it comes to Christ, the ground is level. We're all the same. You may know more than the person sitting beside you, but you don't know more than him. You may have been walking longer than the person beside you, but you still got a long way to go with him. So we're all in this together. We're all in this together. The ground is level there, and there's truths across the board because the word of God is alive, and that's how it can speak to someone who doesn't even believe. That's how it can penetrate their heart. That's what reminds those who seek him that he is real and that he's for us and and not against us. So this morning as we jump in, we're in Jonah chapter 1, and we're covering a lot. And I got to go fast, and you got to keep up with me, okay? Jonah chapter 1, this idea, it's not what you think. Look to your neighbor and say, it's not what you think. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 says, The Lord gave this message. See, I'm really big into details, so I don't know how far we'll get or how long we'll be here, but I'm going to try to let you go a little early, but I can't get past this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, and I wanted to know, has anybody ever heard from him? You felt like he was telling you to do something? Feel like, you know, you had like this calling on your life, or maybe you should do this, or maybe you should do that. Anybody ever, the Lord gave you something? The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Hamittai, verse 2. Two things here. He says, get up and go. God never says, lay down and stay. He says, get up and go. It's an active faith. If your faith is not active, then it is passive. He tells Jonah to get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Listen, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Could this not be said about our nation today? Get up and go, Pastor Peyton, because City Lights Church is a bunch of wicked people and you're the only holy one in there. I'm kidding. That's not true. But it could be said today about our, our state. Get up and go and announce my judgment. Verse 3. But Jonah got up and went the opposite direction. Anybody ever felt like God was nudging you to do something? You were like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go this way. I appreciate you, though. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Now, don't raise your hand, but I want to be serious for a moment. There's some people in here this morning, and maybe you feel like you've been getting away from him. Maybe you feel like you've gotten away. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Now listen, if you're looking at a map of Israel and say it runs like north to south, Joppa is a coastal town close to the Mediterranean Sea. So imagine something like Fort Lauderdale or Miami, just a lot of ships coming in and out, okay? So he went down to Joppa. He found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape. Isn't that weird that sometimes we hope to escape him? Like, God, just please don't catch up with me in my sin. If I can just squeeze by. Hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, if you're taking notes, I want to talk with you just for a couple minutes about this idea, the attempt. The attempt. How many times is it often, probably so, that God, we feel him nudging us, calling us to do something, and we make this attempt to get away from him? Right now, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. I'm not qualified to go back to school. I can't serve in city kids. Man, I can't give. I don't have enough money. 
I can't keep working at this job. It's just not working out. I can't hang in there. And we make this attempt to get away from him. It says that Jonah went in the opposite direction. Now, a little background context about the city of Nineveh. Uh, just to kind of tie in some biblical culture and context here. Anybody ever heard of Noah in the Old Testament? Noah had a great-grandson who had a son, or was a great-grandson, named Shem, S-H-E-M. He had a son named Asher. Asher founded the, um, the area known as Assyria in the Old Testament. We would now call that modern-day Iraq. Noah also had a great-grandson. Listen, this, if anybody's pregnant with a baby boy, this is a great name. His name was Nimrod. It's a great name. He had a great-grandson named Nimrod, and he founded the city of Nineveh. Anybody ever heard of the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament? After they built that and God dispersed them, that's where Nimrod went. So just to show you that these towns, they don't just pop up here and there and like have no connection. And here's what's amazing about Nimrod, excuse me, Nineveh, I have that name stuck in me, is that back then they believed it was about a 60-mile uh, um, wide city with 120,000 people in it. Now, for context, Clinton has 10,000. Oak Ridge has 30,000. Our county has roughly 75,000 people. So this was a major city back then. A major city. And not only was this a major city, but listen, it was a city of terror and a city of torture. They were known to behead people. They were known to scalp people. In fact, what they would do is the Ninevites went into war oftentimes. They would kill people and they would cut them up and they would carry their barter parts back into the city as souvenirs. And if they defeated a king in battle, they would cut his head off. They would take it to their king. He would stick it on a post. And at the royal banquet, they would sit there and eat tomato soup right beside it. And then when they were done, they would take the head on the pole out to the front city gates to let it sit there and rot to show their display of power. Now let's rewind. God's telling this little guy named Jonah, hey, you need to go tell them how jacked up they are. I don't blame Jonah for being like, nah, dude, I'm going to Tarshish. I'll see you later. <laughs> Y'all have a good one, man. Now, see, Tarshish was, it's modern-day Spain. So back then, this would have been almost as far as the mind can imagine to get away from the reality I'm in. Jonah's like, I'm getting out of here. I'm not going. But how many of you know that God will make a way for something great if you'll follow what he wants you to do? The provision will be there. You'll be able to emotionally get through it, the strength, you can overcome it. But we always make this great attempt to get away from what God wants us to do. And often it costs us severely. And not, we're going to see in the story, not only does it cost us severely, but it often costs those people around us. Let me tell you something else, just in, for context, and then we'll, we'll keep going. Sometimes when we're making this attempt to get away from what God wants us to do, we can still do other good things, Right? And so suppose as you read this story, one could call Jonah, if they don't know the context that he's going the opposite way, they could say that Jonah's brave to get on this ship and go to Tarshish. I mean, it was, like I said, it was the farthest they could imagine back then, like the end of the world, basically. They would say, man, he's brave. And you would even say, hey, it's going to cost him. He's got to buy his ticket. So there's going to be some financial obligation to this. Jonah's a good man. He's going to be on the ship. And listen, that's how you justify going the opposite direction. You still think you're doing good things. 
Come on, somebody say amen if you're with me. If we will follow his direction, his leading, we will always be met with a promise. And I can assure you this because I have went in the opposite direction of God. And you can be happy for a season, but it will not last. Your sin can be fun enough to get you through it, but it will not keep you from him because the psalmist said, I cannot escape your presence. This is verse 4. It says, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea. Hey, take me back to verse 3. I want to show you guys something. But Jonah, now take me back to verse 4. But the Lord, I'm sorry, Moses. How many of y'all know that God's butt's always bigger than ours? But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, leave me here, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. I want to ask you this diagnostic question for you to think about. How far will God go to get your attention? How far will he go to reel you back in? Suppose as the planks on the ship are rising and cracking, just as the stress comes up in your life, every storm you go through, hey, is not from the devil. Sometimes it's the father trying to get your attention. Trying to bring you back. How far will he go? Please don't over listen or state what I'm saying, but will he let you go through cancer? Will he let you go through financial ruin? Will he? But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm. Maybe there's some things in your life right now and you're feeling shaken up and you can't control it. And you feel like the enemy's all over you, but no, it's the Father just trying to bring you back, trying to wake you up. Sometimes you give the enemy too much credit. And in fact, I think there's... There's a scripture in the, in the book of Acts and there's these great miracles going on. It says that the spirit, the, the enemy pulled up on the place and he's like, hey, I know Paul and I know Jesus, but who are you? And so remember, God's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He knows all things. He's powerful. He is everywhere at all times. Satan does not have that ability. So like he's not here in the next church down the road. So when someone says out of seven billion people, Satan's after me, I'm just thinking, what have you done so special to make him after you? What are you doing so great that Satan out of 7 billion people is attacking you? Now, I'm not suggesting that the spirit, the the enemy, the systems of the world can't be against you, but you need to quit giving him too much credit. So y'all have a good day, okay? Verse 5, it says, Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their lowercase g, s, plural, gods, for help. And threw the cargo overboard. Can you imagine this violent storm's taking place, okay? The boat's rocking. Rock the baby. Don't rock the boat, baby, but it's rocking this time. It's a violent storm, and no doubt these men were experienced, but it said they feared for their lives because sometimes when you go through things without God, you can't handle them, but you could handle the storm if he was with you. 
I'm preaching this morning. I just feel my own self preaching. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard. Imagine them, they're unloading all this. They're unloading all these things they need. So just for a few moments, I want to talk with you about the idea of the uh, abstract. The abstract. Pull it up. The abstract. These sailors, they're on the ship with Jonah, and they're unfortunately being impacted by Jonah's sin. And a lot of times when we're running from God, when we're attempting to flee from Him, just like these men do, we begin to throw everything overboard, hoping that God will like, we're, we're good now. Like, I get all this, you know, I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to start, start praying and start reading my Bible. I'm going to be a better employee. I'm going to start being nicer to my wife. I'm going to start being nicer to my husband. We just start throwing everything overboard, trying to get right. And see, what these sailors don't know the problem is, and often this is true for us, is it's not what was in the ship that was the problem. It was who was in the ship. And I wanted to tell somebody today that needs to face reality, it's not what you're going through. It's the problem is you. It's you. See, if you're going to find a solution to the problem, you have to correctly identify the problem. It's not your church that has the problem. It's not your church family. It's not your husband or your wife or your ex-husband or your ex-wife. It's your perspective. It's you. If you can identify yourself, anybody ever tried to go on a diet? And failed? Was it the food's fault? Yes. Apparently we need some people, we need to create some small groups for people in denial in here. <laughs> it's about, it's this, it's this mindset. It's the perspective. And see, here's what happened is this. Is they threw all this needed gear out the ship, but the problem was still in there. And they needed those things. And you do the exact same thing, whether it be mentally or physically. You begin to remove or abstract these things in your life that you need because you're not even identifying the problem. And then when you identify the problem, you're like, dang, I don't have any friends anymore because I removed them all. Now I realize it's me. That's the problem. Right? What is it that you're considering right now? This is diagnostic. Please do not answer out loud. Let the Spirit wrestle with you. Let God's Spirit wrestle with you. What are some things that you're fixing to throw overboard that really you don't need to get rid of? You need to hang on and focus on yourself. What are some things that you're fixing to end that maybe that's, you're using those as a, that's a symptom, but it's not the cause of the problem? We have become experts at pointing out other people's sins, but terrible at acknowledging our own. You see it on Facebook all the time. You see it in the church all the time. They do this, they do that. Well, I'm doing this, well, I'm doing that. And I've said this a thousand times, so if you've been here once, you've heard it a million. If you come back next week, you'll hear it two million. If you'll stop comparing yourself to humanity and start looking up towards divinity, you would see that there's so much more equality in all of us. Amen. What are you doing? What are you doing? removing things, this abstract. We all go through this when, when we're when in this season of escaping God. We, we make this great attempt to get away from Him. Then we go through this phase of the abstract where we begin removing things that aren't, aren't even the problem. And we're going to dive into just a lengthy part of the Scripture right here. So, so hang with me. Hang with me. 
This is verse 6. It says, so the captain went down after him. I didn't finish reading verse 5. Basically, Jonah's asleep, by the way. Anybody ever know somebody in their sin and they seem like they don't care? Jonah's sleeping in the bottom of the boat and it's affecting everybody else while his lazy butt's laying down there. Anybody know somebody that their life's caught up in sin, they seem to not care, but it's making your life seem like you're going through a terrible storm. Jonah's sleeping. He says, so the captain went down after him. He said, how can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. He said, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Verse 7 says, Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. It's the same thing they did for Jesus closing at the, cro- uh, at the foot of the cross. In fact, there are a lot of people that say this is why you shouldn't buy lottery tickets. It's the same as gambling, casting lots, so forth and so on. There's a little bit more to it, but I don't have time to explain it. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. How many of you know your sin will always find you out? It will always come out. And you can hide it for a minute and you can be really good at it. But it will come out. It will come out. Verse 8 says, Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? They believed in, there's so much historical things here and, and theological, you've got to study it, but they believed in like some, uh, people from certain lands. There was land gods, so they're like, that's why I said, where are you from? What's your nationality? What God did you bring with you on this ship? Verse 9, Jonah answered. This is interesting, and I'm not really sure how to take it, so I'm going to leave it open-ended. I'm going to share a couple thoughts, but it says, he says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, leave me here, who made the sea and land. Now listen, Jonah's right in the middle of his sin. He's, he's running from God. He's causing other people problems, yet he stands here and says, I, I worship the Lord. And if I didn't know the whole story of the Bible, I would have one opinion. But just for you to be objective, I want to take this approach. Did you know that in your sin, if you're in Christ, he is still in you? Did you know that even when you're running, that God is still with you? Like, see, part of me reads this, and I know how blatant his sin is. I know that he's made this great attempt to get away from God. And so when I read this on the front end as a Christ follower, I have a lot of problem with him saying in the middle of his sin, yeah, I worship God. But isn't that our story, though? We're all sinners just worshiping God? It's not an excuse to sin or justify it, but it is the reality. And quite frankly, I get sick and tired of people saying that Christians are hypocrites. Well, you know, just human is really what we are. And you are too. And I always tell them our church has room for one more, so I'll see you this Sunday at 1030. 1025 if you want some lemonade. So I wanted to just tell you this. Maybe you're in the season of like attempting to get out or I don't know where you're at, but let this resonate with you that even in your sin, that does not change your identity. It does not change your identity. Verse 10. It says the sailors were terrified when they heard this. For they had already, excuse me, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. So they say, oh, why did you do it? They groaned. Verse 11. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, because when you are continually running from God, it does not get better. You need to know that it does not get better. 
It does not get better. You cannot outrun him. You cannot outhide him is what the psalmist said. I can never escape your presence. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? This is interesting. It almost seems suicidal here, verse 12. Jonah says, throw me into the sea and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Have you ever come to the realization that sometimes the decisions you've made that have impacted other people have clearly been your fault? That's tough to feel. That's a tough weight to carry. So in a lot of ways, I can be very empathetic with Jonah here. He says this, Instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to the land. So here we see Jonah coming to his sense and really being the voice of reckoning, saying, hey, this is how the problem is going to be fixed, but this is what we do. God speaks to us and says, this is you got to get it fixed, and we just try to row harder. Now I got it, God. I'm good. I'm good. I'm expert at this. I'm going to go a little bit harder. I'm going to work a little bit longer. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them. Hang here. And they couldn't make it. I just wanted to just let someone know from my own experience, maybe you can relate. There's been times in my life where I have made this attempt to get away from God. I begin to abstract and remove things in my life. I hear the solution of how to get it right, and all I do is just keep rowing harder. Keep rowing harder. And I wanted to tell you, in those circumstances, Jasmine, in those cases, you will not make it. You will not make it. It says, then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. This is lining up now with the beginning where it says that God hurled the storm. So the last idea that I want to talk to you about, we've talked about the attempt the abstract. I've been a good preacher. They all start with A. The next one is, I want to talk with you about the effect. The effect. Jonah's disobedience and running from God put him in a position where he was around other people and his blatant sin began to affect mentally the people that he was around. When you're running when you are not following, when you are not doing what God has asked you to do, you will have a type of effect on people that will make them feel like, I'm going to die. I've got, I cannot do this anymore. I can't go one more day like this. You ever had somebody in your life that's made you feel that way, that their behaviors have affected you? It's a vicious cycle. See, God told him to get up and go, and it says, but he went the other way. And it's really, it's progressive. We make this attempt, we begin to remove things, and then there's the effect. And sometimes the effect lasts years and years and years and years and years. What are you doing this morning that is affecting, effect is a verb, the people around you? What are you doing? Or what are you, let me say the better question for some of you maybe, what are you not doing? What are you not doing? Verse 15. It says, Then the sailors picked Jonah up. They threw him into the raging sea. 
And surprise, surprise, the storm, the storm stopped at once. Verse 16. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And everybody been awestruck by what God can do. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. The last verse, the first chapter, says this. Now the Lord had arranged. Everybody say arranged. We're going to try it one more time. Say it with me. Now the Lord had arranged. I believe the Lord has arranged some great things in your life this morning. I believe that he's got a plan. And it may not be what it seems. And it may not be what you think. But now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Everybody has heard this story, right? This is the greatest Bible Sunday school lesson growing up as a kid. And here's the thing, though. There are a lot of people, hang with me. Just give me like maybe seven and a half more minutes or something like that. A lot of people, even historians and theologians, don't believe this to be a historical event. It's what they believe is called an allegory, okay? And an allegory interpretation is an interpretive method of a piece of literature that has various meanings, okay? And so what that means is, in this sense, is they believe that the story of Jonah has a spiritual sense, but not a literal sense. Does that make sense? Yes, pastor, no pastor. Okay. Well, I believe it to be true for numerous reasons, and I'm going to share some of those with you. But particularly, I believe that from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, that every word of God is pure, that it's true. And that's just, that's our stance here as a church. We don't have to understand it to believe that God means it, okay? So if you ever wondered what we believe, we believe every word of God is true, even the one we can't understand. But also I believe because in Matthew 12, 40, Jesus, he repeats the story of Jonah and uses it symbolically to talk about how he's going to be in the grave for three days and on the third day he's going to rise. And so if Jesus talked about it, that's kind of like, okay, stamp mark for me, I'm good, I believe it. But here's what's crazy. Is I wanted to share something with you because a lot of times people think there's this, our mind is like, okay, how could this be? Right? I mean, how could Jonah get swallowed by this big fish? And just for those of you, the actual Hebrew word that's used there means giant aquatic animal. So we don't know that it was a whale. Some people believe it was a great white. Some believe it was a sperm whale. But how could this big fish swallow this man whole and him live there? And I told you to say the word and don't forget it. It said that God arranged it. This was not a normal fish. Listen to this story. Can I have five minutes of your time? We're still on time. We're good. You're probably going to get out here early. There's a man named James Bartley, okay? If you can listen, say, go ahead, preacher. It was his first whaling voyage, and he was about to head, um, he was about to aboard the whaling ship Star of the East. The lookout spotted a huge sperm whale half a mile off the port bow and gave the cry, There she blows. The ship's sails were slackened, and sooner small boats were lowered. A deadly race began between the Star of the East and the immense whale. 
Young James Bartley was in the first longboat to reach the side of the parade. They crept up from the rear, so the near, excuse me, they ripped up, they crept up from the rear. So near that, the harpooner leaned over and rammed his weapon deep into the whale's vitals. As the stricken beast sought to free itself of the harpoon, Bartley and other oarsmen rode frantically to get out of reach of the massive flukes, the two prolonged tail which threshed the water from the foam and the whale's agony. The whale sounded an 800 feet of heavy line streaked out of the line tube before he ended his dive. Then an ominous slacking in the line signaled the monster was going to surface. But where? The oarsmen readied themselves to pull for their lives. Without warning, there was a splintering uh, crash which sent the longboat spinning into the air. The whale thrashed about wildly, snapping at the men and the wreckage with its huge jaws. The water turned to a bloody uh, bath before he sounded again. Another longboat picked up the survivors of this encounter, but two men were missing. One of them, the young apprentice, James Bartley. The wind now deserted the star of the east, and for hours she lay becalmed, wallowing in a light swell. Shortly before sunset, the now dead whale floated to the surface a few hundred yards from the ship, so potentially 12 to 18 hours. In a longboat, the crew hastily fastened the line to the whale, and the winch brought it to the ship's side. The hot weather climate made it imperative that the whale be cut up at once, having no means of raising it to the deck. The men took their uh, flinching spades and peeled off the blubber as they slipped and slid along the immense back of this great sperm whale. Late that night, so potentially six hours later, working by lantern light, the tired crewmen removed the stomach of the whale and slowly winched it to the deck. They were startled to notice movement inside the large, sick animal's stomach. It looked like something living and breathing. The captain called the ship's doctor who made an incision in the tough flesh and out slid the doubled up missing sailor James Bartley. As if he were suffering from severe stomach cramps, he was alive but unconscious. The doctor ordered Bartley drenched with seawater, a treatment which restored his consciousness but not his reason, for he babbled incoherently. Confined to a cabin for several weeks and bound so he could not injure himself in the wild plunderings, Bartley gradually regained his senses. Within a month, he was able to relate what had happened to him in his terrifying experience. Bartley said that as he was cast into the water from the longboat, he saw a tremendous mouth open over him and he screamed as he was engulfed by it. He then felt sharp, sharp stabbing pains as he was swept across the teeth and then slid first down a slimy tube that carried him to the well stomach. He could breathe, but the hot odor soon rendered him unconscious, and the last thing he remembers was kicking as hard as he could at the soft, yielding stomach. Finally, he lapsed into an unconscious state until he again came to his senses almost a month later. As a result of his 15 hours inside the whale's stomach, Bartley lost all hair on his body and was blind for the rest of his life. His skin was bleached to an unnatural whiteness that gave the appearance of being bloodless, although he was healthy. James Bartley never made another trip to the sea and settled down to the shore life as a cobbler in his native city of England. in England. He died 18 years after his remarkable survival and terrifying adventure. On his tombstone in the churchyard is a brief uh, account of his experience at sea in footnote which says, James Bartley, 1870 to 1909, a modern day Jonah. Pretty interesting, right? One last thing. That's, many believe, a true story. 
And there's all kinds of things to be thinking about. Like, how could he survive in there? And I don't even have time now because I promised I'd get you out on time. But like, whales have different chambers of stomachs. And so it's possible that he could have just went into the the first chamber where the, the food is not yet digested because if he was still alive, he wouldn't be digesting. But then people say, how, what about the fluids and all this and all that? And how could he breathe because there's no air and blah, 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 blah. And the, the, the reality of the story is this, is that God arranged a well. But the last thing that I want to share with you, excuse me, not a well. Sorry, theologians. Great fish. God arranged this. But listen, I don't know how I've missed this. And I've read the story, I mean, a hundred times. A hundred times. I've read it like 30 this week just preparing for it. Like, show me something, God. Show me something. And I don't know, like, maybe this is not going to be revolutionary to you. But to me, when I saw it, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. See, I read this story, and you think that Jonah, he gets tossed into the sea and into the big fish's mouth. It's a consequence of his behavior, right? And the Lord was like, it's not what you think, though, Peyton. What is it? What is it, Lord? Show me. And it's small, but it meant a lot to me. He was like, it's not what you think. Yeah, he got thrown into the, the whale's mouth. This is it. But I saved him from drowning. And I was like, whoa. And so I wanted to tell somebody this morning, you maybe feel like you're in the snares of something right now, that your life has gone adrift. And it is not where you want to be. The circumstances are less than desirable. And I wanted to tell you that it's not a consequence. He's sparing you from death. It's not what you think. Amen? Amen. It's His grace prevailing over your circumstances. pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you that even when we are Jonah and we are running and we are hiding and we are fleeing and we are attempting to get away from you, that God, we can never escape your presence. And that is a God who loves us, Lord, only as you could, ferociously and fiercely and and passionately. And there are those of us in here this morning, God, and we're in this abstract phase where we're just removing things from our life that they're really not even the problem. So we pray now that you would show us that it's us, Lord. The issue is us. It's never you. And most of the time, it's not even the ones around us, Lord. It's, it's us. The problem is within. And then, Father, would you just be gracious to us that when we find ourselves in these situations where we're we're fixing to go overboard or maybe some of us have jumped overboard and we feel like we're being caught in this mouth and we're being suffocated that would you remind us would you remind us that it's your goodness Lord that it's not what we think it's not a consequence it's not a repercussion it's your grace Father speak to us speak to us. Remind us that even through the great fish, you made a way for Jonah to experience your goodness.
Hey, this is Pastor Peyton, and I just wanted to personally thank you for tuning into our podcast. We're so encouraged by all that God is doing to this ministry, and if you'd like to stay connected with us through the week, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again for joining in.